Welcome to the African Tech Roundup. This is episode 34 for the week ending Monday, December 7th. And you know how we do on the show. We round up the week's most important tech, digital, and innovation news from across the African continent. My name is, of course, Andile Masugu. And with me is my good friend and co-host on the African Tech Roundup, back from his hiatus dealing with family business last week. Defo Mohapi, how's it, dude? I'm good, dude. You know how the rappers say, what do they say? They try to rhyme it. Let me try and remember what. Oh, they go, hi, haters. I'm back from my hi, haters. Anyway, you guys are not my haters. Love you all. <laughs> Guy came back with some swag dripping off his chin. <laughs> anyway, listen, it's our last live to tape show of the year. Um, for the next four weeks, starting next week in place of our regular podcast programming. We'll be sharing exclusive content from the annual Roundup 2015 event we hosted at the Wanderers Club Johannesburg two weeks ago. And you can look forward to listening to some conversations we had at the event, which were about the year in tech around the continent, with a focus on enterprise, startups, and gadgets and apps. That's right. Next week, we'll kick things off by sharing a chat we had with Senior Investment Executive at Rand Merchant Insurance Holdings, Dominique collett Antelik, and CEO and founding partner at Convergence Partners, Brandon Doyle. Now, it was a conversation that broadly uh, covered uh, issues in tech specific to enterprise, and because of their background, our chat did lean towards fintech and telecoms issues, but we covered a lot of interesting ground in many other areas, so you do not want to miss that. And if you're joining us for the first time, guys and girls, you simply must head straight to africantechroundup.com to catch up on what you've been missing out on. And do yourself a favor by signing up to our weekly newsletter to get the podcast sent straight to you every Monday morning. That's right. And for fun behind-the-scenes stuff, daily news bites, and candid commentary we know you'll dig, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle on both platforms is at African Roundup. We're also on Facebook, like the rest of the world. Check us out on Facebook.com slash African Tech Roundup. But before we get to the rest of the show, it's important for us to let you know that this week's African Tech Roundup is supported by Google who hooked up our team with some Google Cardboards to try out. Now, a huge cheer is in order because they've also given us some to give away to you, our podcast listeners. Google Cardboard brings immersive virtual reality experiences to everyone in a simple and affordable way. Check them out at google.com slash get slash cardboard. It's google.com slash get slash cardboard. So well done to Brett Steinvo, Nayingeni, and Lorato Tenkeng, who won Google Cardboards for their insightful questions and contributions at the annual roundup 2015. Also, there were some cool tweeps who also won Google Cardboards. Those were at company underscore 21, at instinctive FSA, at Claudia underscore F, and at techgirlza. They won because of their live tweets on the day. But don't take our word for how awesome these little devices are. Here's one of the winners from the annual roundup, Lee Julius of Company 21, with his impressions of the Google Cardboard he won. So when I opened the, the pack for the Google Cardboard, there were a lot of numbers. And initially, I thought I'd need a PhD. I thought it would take forever to build the cardboard. But it took around just under two minutes, one minute, 58 seconds. And it was actually virtually easy. It was really easy to make this box. I suppose the next question is, what content do you watch on Google Cardboard? Well, you can go at it two ways. The first is there is an app called Cardboard on the Play Store. And that just directs you to other little apps 
that give you virtual reality experiences. The second option and the option that I loved the most was YouTube actually has a setting now where you can watch your videos in cardboard and I love it because it gives all the videos this 3D, this surreal, this virtual reality feel. But all in all, I do think it's a great little device. I think it's excellent for gifts if you on a budget. We found one online for 150 Rand, which is really cool, which is really cool. And Christmas season is coming up. So the rating, I guess we give Google a strong 8 out of 10. Good on you, Google. We do think that this is the perfect gift for tech junkies and it's really cool, it's really easy, it's really small, it's really cheap and it's just the best gift for us for this up and coming Christmas season. Well, thanks to Google, we've got two more Google Cardboards to give away and if you'd like to win one, stay tuned till the end of the podcast for a question you'll need to email us an answer to. Stick around. And in this week's listener comment segment, we have quite a treat because at AfriCoin Joburg, which happened at Alpha Code last week, Thursday, Andila ran into two rather impressive fellow Zimbos, or Zimbabweans as they're popularly known. They are fintech startup founders who are making waves in their country. Here they are sharing a little bit about their businesses as well as commenting on the state of play in Zimbabwe's tech ecosystem. Uh, hi, I'm Tawanda Kimbam from Harare, Zimbabwe. I'm working on Bitfinance, a startup which is making it super easy for people who want to buy Bitcoin to buy them and people who want to sell Bitcoin to sell them. I'm Vusin Debele. I'm from uh, WebDev in Zimbabwe. The product uh, I'm here about today is uh, PayNow, which is our online payments gateway, which is um, the only uh, payment gateway in Zim, fully integrated with um, Visa MasterCard, as well as the mobile wallet, EcoCash, TeleCash, and our uh, local switching platform, ZimSwitch. Okay, but you've been involved in, in, in several other platforms as well. What would we be more familiar with if we didn't know PayNow? Okay, you'd probably be more familiar with our marketplace, uh, Classifieds, classifieds.co.zw, and uh, our property vertical, property.co.zw, which are the uh, two largest property, um, two largest classified sites uh, in Zim. I'll ask uh, you, Tawanda, to tell me, what's the appeal in using Bitcoin? The average Zimbabwean uh, probably has access to uh, EcoCash or any number of, of other sort of money remittance options. Why Bitfinance and why Bitcoin to start with? Usually our customers have two reasons for, for using Bitcoin. So one is we already have means of sending money, stuff like EcoCash, uh, mobile money is what we know it is. But Bitcoin transcends the limitations of mobile money. So you can't really use mobile money across borders. So I can't send in. I can't send money via EcoCash to someone in Botswana or someone in Mogadishu, but with Bitcoin I can. Uh, the second reason is uh, people who uh, who want to reduce transaction fees. So uh, think about it. It costs about 10 to 15% of uh, the money you're sending when you send it via Western Union, if you're sending it across a border. So it, it, with Bitcoin, it's uh, close to zero, whether they are sending $1 or $1,000. Uh, so Bitcoin is kind of appealing to people who uh, who do business across borders. So they want to move money across borders in a very cheap and easy way. What have you identified a pain now as a pain point that you're solving? We're set up as a payment service provider, um, serving both um, businesses who want to receive payments from their customers um, and have a real-time notification of um, of payment and um, easily reconcilable statements. For their customer, we're offering them the opportunity to pay their business 
without restrictions on time or place and using the, their preferred payment instruments. So the appeal really is to both sides. We're, we're trying to make sure that um, your customer really ha- doesn't ever have an excuse not to pay you. Currency is always a buzzword in Zimbabwe. What challenges have you found in getting people to trust uh, not just your platform in the case of BitFinance, but the, the currency itself? I think the biggest challenge is just to educate educate people so people don't understand it. They they, they think it's it's kind of too complicated and it is for, for someone who's uh, who's new to Bitcoin and and that has been our biggest challenge so far. But also we're still in beta and testing it. We only went live uh, with our beta version on 16 September 2015 uh, because we're still kind of in beta. In beta. We're not marketing aggressively and. Uh, we are just growing slowly, which is uh, which is what what we want right now. Is we're still focused on building out the platform. Can I ask you a, uh, <laughs> a simple question? What does Zimra think of you guys? <laughs> we haven't started engaging them yet. We've just started engaging an accounting firm called FFG, and they are going to be handling the old tax compliance uh, stuff for us. Uh, very smart people. They understand Bitcoin very well and our business model very well. I, I think FFG is going to take care of that. I'm sure your, your your firm will be seeking to engage the Reserve Bank in, the, in similar manner, right? Uh, but we've already started engaging the Central Bank. Uh, so we, we've had a few meetings. We have a few more meetings coming up. And the, and the reason is we we know Bitcoin is kind of like some regulators like it, some don't. Uh, some like certain aspects of Bitcoin, some don't. So as we're building out our platform, we just want to make sure that we... But we don't want to fight with the regulator. We want to make sure that we make them happy. And Vusi, your platform, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, is set up to actually play quite well with the legacy institutions that we have currently. So you may, I know you mentioned in your intro um, that your, your platform uh, is integrated with MasterCard and Visa. And I, I imagine the banks are pretty okay with you guys. Uh, generally, yes. So um, the banks uh, and actually the, uh, the, uh, the mobile operators actually quite like having an aggregator like us. Many of them are not set up to deal with um, hundreds of very small merchants, helping them to, uh, to integrate. And each of those merchants, um, you know, with, uh, I suppose, differing levels of, of expertise. So they are, they're not set up to handle a three-week integration with a developer who, who isn't so familiar with the technology that they're working with. So, yeah, certainly from, uh, from our side, although it took a long time to um, get these relationships set up, um, we do work very well with, uh, with all of the partners that we're integrated with. And as new, uh, new payment channels come up and available on the market, they are always quick to, uh, to come and ask to work with us. And does your platform receive Bitcoin? It doesn't currently receive Bitcoin. You know, the, the key thing that we provide to our merchants is uh, funds settled directly into their bank account. So, for instance, even if their customer pays them from a, a mobile wallet, from EcoCash or Telecash, we settle it directly into their bank accounts at end of play. So, for um, for Bitcoin to, to be an option, we would need to really kind of understand the regulatory, regulatory environment around that and also uh, to make sure that we're able to liquidate that into U.S. currency and settle it along with uh, all the other funds at day end. Are you guys sort of capitalizing on the fact that uh, a, a multinational like PayPal hasn't looked at Zimbabwe as, as a serious place to grow? Do you think that being homegrown is an advantage that someone like PayPal can't easily copy and attack? 
Um, yeah, we're definitely taking advantage of that fact. You know, as well as being just homegrown and we, we benefit from our experience in the market and other things that we do. So we, we, we develop a lot of software, a lot in the financial services sector. We build a lot of the websites um, in Zimbabwe. We host a lot of the infrastructure in Zim. So when we built PayNow, um, we thought immediately a huge amount of innovators would uh, would begin to uh, develop applications that integrated with it. And we were a bit disappointed by the pace. So we realized that we really had to actually go in and help customers. So just the availability of a global payments gateway doesn't mean uh, success. You do need at this early stage, um, you know, in quite a nascent market like ours, you do need to be actually engaging with the customers to help them um, you know, align their business processes and actually make the most of online payments. So, Tawanda, do you think the absence of a national currency in Zimbabwe, or at least a Zimbabwean currency um, in circulation currently, makes might make regulators open to the notion of Bitcoin, uh, given that the legal tender currently is the U.S. dollar? They might not have as much to lose as, say, South Africa do in the worries that an unregulated currency might usurp the country's one. Uh, yes, I, d- I definitely agree with that reasoning. The, the absence of a, of a national currency is an advantage. And so I, I see Zimbabwe as the best use case for Bitcoin in the world for, for that reason. Also, uh, looking at the fact that we've, you can use multiple currency as legal tender, I also see Zimbabwe as, as having the best uh, uh, exchange control regulations in the world. Wow, that's quite a statement. I'm hoping as, as a Zimbabwe myself, uh, that you guys take this one all the way to the bank because um, in many respects, I think uh, Zimbabwe is the best example out there for how things technically should run but never do. <laughs> yeah. Before you go, give me a sense of what the tech scene is like. You've spent um, an afternoon, no, at least a full day at AfriCoin, Johannesburg, um, mixing and mingling with some of your contemporaries from across the continent based on what you've seen i know you're not here a lot of the time but what is your sense as developers as as startup founders owners of platforms as uh, uh, integration specialists tell me what differences sort of stand out for you between the scene you've observed here in zimbabwe we'll see i'm impressed actually by the contribution of established players so, for instance, you will probably find that many uh, tech-oriented conferences in Zim will have um, a lot of um, individual developers. You know, it'll really be exclusively people from the the tech and dev community. Whereas here, we've had you know a number of banks here, financial institutions, all sorts of established organizations that are actually here, and I think that contributes to the quality of discussion that we have and, and the knowledge that, that might influence something in these, uh, in these big organizations which really wield the power. Um, so I do think that it would be good if um, we're able to get the same sort of engagement from um, uh, big industry, I suppose, the, um, the, uh, the, in, in Zim to make sure that uh, you know, our, our developers are listening to their, their problems and, and the other way around. And didn't it feel good to listen to big players like Vusi says, uh, people like Dominique Collett at uh, Rand Merchant Insurance Holdings uh, say things like they realize the need for them to partner and harness the enthusiasm, the ideas, the knack for innovation of startups like yours, Tawanda. Uh, sure. Not only that, but uh, th- there are these big banks we have 
cut real checks to startups and and I think that is important to uh, for the ecosystem where you, you have this uh, you have a lot of institutional support I, I think that's important for for any startup ecosystem something and in Zimbabwe we are not quite there yet but uh, hopefully we'll get there soon and so what's the hope what's the end game this is my last question to you guys what's the end game for you guys as startup founders are you guys chasing acquisition are you looking to exit at some point you know when someone cuts a check like you say Tawanda are you here for the long term is this do you have legacy issues that you you know you guys grapple with as you build new brands and new businesses online and, and create platforms you know, we constantly innovate. We, over the last couple of years, have put out um, a new product onto the market every um, every kind of, you know, maybe 13, 14 months. So um, we're in the business of continuing to create new things. So um, as for the things that we've created and whether we would um, uh, offload them, most definitely at the right price. All right. And you know, VCs are listening to this podcast right now. Are you saying they should give you a call if they're interested? Absolutely. And <laughs> Tawanda, what about you? Uh, well, we, we started Bitfinance to solve a problem. And uh, and that is one of the two things which drives us. So so we really want to solve this problem uh, and, and make it super easy for people to buy or sell Bitcoin in Zimbabwe uh, and then possibly look to Africa. Uh, and then the second reason is to create wealth, of course. So we want to make a lot of money for ourselves and our investors. Fantastic, guys. Thank you so much for your time. I look forward to... Uh, rubbing shoulders with you um, on home soil. That would be nice. Uh, otherwise, thank you so much for being here. Uh, thanks a lot for your time, Angela. Yeah, thank you for having us. Remember, if you'd like to be part of the show by having us include your audio comment on any of the topics we've discussed today on, or on any other episode, you can email us using hello at africantechroundup.com. That's hello at africantechroundup.com. Or leave us a note on our website. Come on, Zimbabwe. Come on, Zimbabwe. Zimbal's rock, man. And I'm biased. I'm sorry. <laughs> you can take Tendaim Tawarira back. Ay, 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 Never. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, no hate. <laughs> no, it's all good. Well, listen, it's uh, up to this week's news. First up, the Nigerian Communications Commission has finally been persuaded to reduce the fine it imposed on MTN by 35 whole percent, people. Uh, that's taking the amount uh, MTN will now need to pay from 5.2 billion to 3.4 billion. But the fine has to be paid, apparently, by the 31st of December. Hmm. Before I even get to the other news, I think uh, we did predict that they will drop it, but I think this uh, somebody blinked, and this is the Nigerian guys, the NCC. So they were sitting across the table. Put too much like on the one side of this team and uh, the NCC with their team and they were playing stare at each other and see who blinks first and Nigeria blinked. And I think it's unfortunate that Nigeria dropped it because they showed that they can be arm twisted. Obviously, we don't know the details of the negotiations and what was agreed to or why it was dropped. But by agreeing to drop a fine that was agreed to in 2011 before the offense happened in 2015 means that they're being a little bit lenient on, uh, on MTN. Anyway, given that it's been dropped, also another question we raised when we heard the news of the fund was that why only the MTN Group CEO was pushed, which is the way it appeared. But it's also emerged that uh, MTN's, MTN Nigeria CEO, Michael Ikpoki, has resigned. Obviously, obviously, it's a bit of a push. Not just him, but uh, another key member of his team in Nigeria, um, head of regulatory and corporate affairs, Akinwale Goodluck, has also resigned. Um, 
The former chief operating officer and chief financial officer at MT Nigeria, Ferdi Mulman, uh, will now become the, the business unit CEO. And Nigerian national Amina Ayagbola will then replace Goodluck as head of regulatory and corporate affairs at MT Nigeria. I, I, I'm just wondering why they stuck around as long as this. I, they should have just admitted up front that they'd really dropped the ball. Um, their leader had obviously led the way in sort of saying, I'll take responsibility ultimately. They should have done the right thing. It's probably left a lot sooner. Negotiations, my man. Negotiations. Oh, they probably thought this would what they they'd end up not having to pay anything, in which case their jobs would be secure. Thirty-five percent less than five point two billion, but still a hang of a lot of money. Hey, dude, what's the difference between three point four and five point two? I think you need to check the other bank accounts. With it. I'm just saying, just a, I'm kidding. It's just a rumor. Oh my word, though. And then look, there's another key employee at MTN, but now a group level, a, a certain Carl Pinar, who is. Uh, one of MTN's very uh, uh, first employees, actually, he he was MTN's group chief strategy officer, also retiring this week or this past week. Uh, of course, he's he's hastened to say that he was thinking about retirement for a very long time, and he, it's time for him to to go join his family in Australia. And yeah, let's be honest, sir, you chose <laughs> the, <laughs> a terrible time to leave, and it's pretty darn obvious you're leaving because things are rough. Yeah, I mean, chief strategy officer retiring when maybe strategy worked, it's in full effect, and his job is done, or it didn't work. But yeah, he just chose. I think he is retiring on, on I think it sounds like he's been there for a long time, so he probably was due for retirement. It's just terrible timing. No doubt, given his net worth, Australia will be happy to have him. In any case, moving on, following the raising of a rumored 25 10 million dollars of equity finance kenyan mobile money aggregator and micro lender copo copo is set to reduce focus on the lipa na impesa service which it had launched in partnership with safaricom and they've decided to focus on micro lending a good move uh, i think it's realizing that there wasn't much value in lipa na impesa i could be wrong but moving to micro lending seems to be the in thing now most people or most uh, companies like copo copo some of them are start who are in mobile money or mobile payments are shifting towards micro lending. But also interesting is that the founders are leaving. They no doubt haven't bought into the vision that perhaps their investors, and there are quite a few uh, um, institutional investors, um, VC interests that are, invo- that are invested in this, in this entity. There's no doubt that they probably don't buy into the vision. I, I don't want to comment on Kenyan tech ecosystem stuff after the Angani saga. There might be a bullet with my name on it. Nah, my guy. Nah, my guy. But then let, let's let's think about this way. Um, it could be a smart move in as far as we've 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 talked on the show how it's it's important that startups don't uh, base their entire model. Uh, you know, don't create a, a model that is entirely subservient to an incumbent. Yeah, true. But I think in this case, yes, it's an opportune time to untie themselves from Safaricom. But I, I think you. The key thing in business, I think you know it, I know it. You don't. If a business is profitable, why move it? Whether it's with Safaricom or not, why drop it? So in this case, I don't think it's because their business model is tied to Safaricom. I just think probably they saw the numbers on micro lending and thought it will perform better. Straight up pivot, I guess. So, well, good luck to them and good luck to the founders who will find, uh, who will no doubt find something else to apply their minds to. But moving on now for some unfortunate news out of Zimbabwe. We obviously started on a high note in terms of Zimbabwe with my homeboys giving us a sense of what it's like to be a startup founder in, in Zimbabwe. It's about to get a little harder for some 
for quite a few startup founders or at least aspiring startup founders because of this very next story. Um, it's fixing to be a gloomy Christmas for the Hypercube Technology Trust, which manages the co-working uh, space Hypercube Hub in Harare. They've announced that um, they've been unable to secure funding to keep the place open, man. I mean, I'm going to be a bit cynical here, and probably people are used to me being cynical, but for for right reason, I think all hubs should be shut down on the continent simply because they don't have a proper working model. Some barely survive on the income they can make. Uh, I think the structure is to either become an accelerator, which funds and has a program, so you put funding in and have a program that you take startups through, or you become a seed fund. But this whole kumbaya, hold hands, and we're a co-working space, but we're an NPO, we don't make profit, but we're trying to make money. It's wishy-washy, there's no clear strategy. Be one or the other. And an o- a reliance on funding is, to me, just a ridiculous way to, to try and navigate the landscape of, of business in any shape or form. Uh, you, you definitely, like you say, you need to think long and hard about creating a viable model and... I suppose waiting for, you know, USAID or whoever to <laughs> to send you money or make you a priority in order for you to stay alive is just no way to, to you know, to succeed in the long term, in which case this was going to happen sooner or later. Here's the irony about hubs relying on funding from USAID and Indigo Trust and all sorts of other funders. And I'm, I'm just naming those because I know them. I'm not saying they're bad. They are good and the money is welcome. The irony is that they say they incubate businesses yet they can't get their business model right and can't get... So how are you going to tell businesses you incubate how to make money or how to develop a business model when you can't even get your hub model right? So there, there's a bit of irony there. And that's true. It takes me back to a conversation we had um, probably, I can't remember, was it a second or third episode of, of this podcast? And you go check it out where we actually uh, had a hashed it out, really, just trying to figure out whether you know hubs are doing, a, a, are actually adding value to the tech ecosystem on the continent or not. And that was an interesting debate. However, we're sad to see these people go. It's unfortunate. Guys in Zimbabwe, you're going to go need to get uh, free internet somewhere else. (laughs) Basically, that's what hubs are. (laughs) Moving on to the next story, which affected most of Southern Africa. A fault on an orbiting satellite, AMOS-5, owned by Spacecom, caused a widespread mobile communication outage last week, affecting Angola, Namibia, Mozambique, Malawi, Zimbabwe, Botswana, South Africa, the DRC... And most of Zambia. Interesting, uh, but I, I didn't pick up the, the, the disruption, but uh, it's a bit worrying that something like that can happen. But I read that they had other alternative satellites that they'd navigate the traffic to. Apparently, that's, that's what uh, Zambia specifically actually asked them to do because I, I believe of, of, of all the countries listed, Zambia was most affected and they definitely were in touch with Spacecom asking them to migrate traffic um, to alternative satellites while they fixed the problem. Uh, let us know if, uh, how badly affected, if you're any of the countries we listed, how badly affected you were and, um, and let us know if the problem has persisted or has indeed been fixed or if you're on the inside of, say, a Spacecom uh, or any one of the mobile operators that are dealing with, with them directly, please let us know. Um, it, like you say, it is a, a bit disturbing. One doesn't really think about how important uh, inf- the upkeep of infrastructure we can't see is, you know, and support uh, at a macro level for, for, for our region is. And only things like this make you think about it. Yeah, and it's worrying that it's it's a single point of failure. I mean, one satellite can put out so many countries. So, yeah, need to dig deeper into this. Absolutely. Well, following the recent close of public comment on South Africa's new cybercrime bill in November, uh, press and internet freedom groups are continuing to slam regulators uh, with some demanding that submissions be made public. Of course, the regulator saying, 
What we will make public is the updates we make to the laws, not what you want to hear. Oh, not, not, not everything everyone's been saying. Yeah, that part I get, but I think this is just the formality, this process. Look, if uh, ANC is majority, and yeah, this might get me in trouble or something, it's majority, so if any of their members raise a bill and want it to be passed, it will be passed, whether we, whether we like it or not. Look, uh, now I, I, I'm sort of um, the socialist in me, and, I, and we had an argument about me being a socialist or not uh, the other day, <laughs> interestingly. I'd call myself a social capitalist, and I sort of side with regulators, or at least I, I have a heart for them on this issue. They, they've got, they have real problems around cybercrime and, and protecting the public, a real mandate to do that. Obviously, like you say, a lot of political objectives start to seep into the issue, but come on, uh, lobbyists, uh, we, we all know that you, you're probably using this very issue to, to sort of back your funding drives and stuff like that. The, the truth is um, they're going to come back to us uh, and hopefully factor in everything we've, we've said we don't like with the bill. There really isn't a need for us to see what everybody said about everything. I don't know. Um, at the same time, government uh, regulators, why, why are you posturing as though there's something to hide? I, I, just, I think there's a little bit of... Uh, annoyance I have with both sides. I agree with you fully on that. I mean, it doesn't make any sense to hide what the comments were. And it also, on the other side, doesn't make any sense to fight to see who said what. Yes, what if they said something contrary to what the bill says? That's fine. What if the bill goes ahead irrespective of what they said? Does it matter? On the other side, if government is hiding it, maybe they're hiding Jacob Zuma, sorry, disagreed with certain parts. I'm just making an example. Or maybe a member of the ANC disagreed with certain parts. Or maybe a member of the DA, the opposition, agreed with certain parts or EFF or whatever. So maybe that's why they're hiding it because they're protecting people. I don't know. But to me, it's neither here nor there. And, of course, because of our democratic pro process, which in this case might be inconvenient for you if you don't appreciate this law being passed, um, will, like you said, make, the, make sure that the majority passes what they see fit. And in this case, the ANC is the majority, and they'll pass what they, what they, whatever suits their interest, in which case you just need to chill. Whether you know what was written or not, what will pass will pass. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is the democracy we signed up for. The one who gets the most votes wins. In this case, it's the ANC. Unfortunately, fortunately, depending on which side of the fence, just deal with it. It's rough, it's rough. Anyway, listen, our final news story today um, involves Africa's biggest media company by miles and one of the most valuable stocks currently trading on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. Yes! Ladies and gentlemen, you guessed it, Naspers. Now, they've come out with a plan to float 17.1 million ordinary shares in order to raise... 2.5 billion US dollars to fund their expansion plans. They want to raise their shareholding within Russia's Avito, an e-commerce site, from 17.4% to 67.9%, it is rumored. And that's going to cost them roughly $1.2 billion. And apparently, as a result of this, they've uh, the South African Reserve Bank and the Russian Federal Anti-Monopoly Service have given the deal a thumbs up. Yeah, and uh, turns out they also have quite a few other plans uh, to, uh, you know, to fund acquisitions and other internet and e-commerce companies. Um, and um, th there's no doubt a lot of trust that they will do very well at doing what they say they want to do um, if their past investments are anything to go by. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, Nespers, I think, have nailed the, the formula for investing in tech companies and digital startups to the T. So they, they've got great experience in that area and media as well. So I, th I no doubt have confidence that this is probably a well-calculated move on their side in, and also as part of their worldwide expansion plans. I expect the shares they're floating to be totally oversubscribed. I can, <laughs> I can already see a scramble <laughs> beginning even now. Yeah, definitely. But I've got other issues with Nespers, but let's not go there. Yeah, let's not go there for now. Now we're going to move on. In place of our weekly discussion, uh, we're going to share an impromptu chat we had with Mbwana Ali. Now Mbwana is the founder and managing partner at Savannah Fund, uh, an Africa-focused technology venture capital fund that runs both uh, an accelerator and seed investments in e-commerce, gaming, education technology, and social networking. So we caught up with Mbwana uh, at AfriCoin Joburg this past week, and initially... He and I were chatting alone, and then therefore joined in, and it just uh, the conversation just got uh, more and more interesting. And we just thought, now nah, we must definitely share the whole thing. We thought we might just get a few sound bites for you guys. It just got so much fun. Yeah, it's a bit long, guys, but uh, there are loads of great insights, so you should enjoy this. And we also put him on the spot regarding the recent Angani saga, so, and he's very honest and open about it. And also, since we'll be away for some weeks, we thought, what the heck, let's play the whole thing for you. But don't worry, we don't record all our conversations when we meet you. It's just this one, with permission. Okay, so without any further ado, here it is. A photography enthusiast, what else would surprise me about you? Um, I like hiking, in, and I and I'm a recent botanist. Okay. Uh, I, just, yeah, I discovered a national park in Tanzania that's uh, called uh, Kitolo Plateau, uh, which is a you know a highland plateau with flowers on it, orchids, unique orchids. So I I extended my photography and started doing botanist, you know, started taking photos of cataloging um, photo uh, uh, flowers. Sorry, because I re I realized that in that parts of Africa there are places where you know, there are species that have not been discovered yet. Uh, so I, I just thought that's pretty cool. I'm adventurous. I, I like to find cool stuff. Just like startups, I like to find cool startups. It also extends to other parts of my life. You know, I like to discover cool places that no one else has been to. And Kitolo Plateau, maybe I'm giving it away now, but they, 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 they do need the tourism because it's very low. Uh, but it's an amazing place. So I like travel a lot. I mean, travel is, yeah. And so we were talking offline while I was trying to get this Mac to work. So all of you uh, Mac haters... They do stutter sometimes, <laughs> folks. Very they act rarely, but they do. Yeah, yeah. Very rarely, but they do. And they do. And so I, I had to, while I was busy restarting the computer so that we could get this uh, conversation on the road, you were telling me all the podcasts you listen to, and I'm offended, sir, that you haven't playlisted the African Tech Roundup or African Tech Conversations. Yes, I've been seeing it, um, and uh, I've actually not. Is it available on Stitcher? It's on. It should be. It, in fact, yes. Well, now, so because I have my phone on me, because that's my primary play uh, podcast device, and you can see here I'm showing you uh, on the front of my phone is Stitcher, right in the middle. It's the most middle, middle like app. Like I can't miss it, right? Like I'm not having to flip through the phone, and you know, like you can you tell a man's iPhone by the front homepage screen. Absolutely, you can. I think you guys talked about that once, didn't you not? Well, I mean, yeah, definitely, you can. I, I think once I think you, you emailed me or someone emailed me from your from your group saying that. Could you tell us what your? Uh, could you send us a picture of your your homepage? But but, but on my homepage, Stitcher is number one. How come not I, not iTunes? Surprisingly, I mean, it, I mean, Stitcher just really works really well. I can resume the podcast. I can take it offline easily. So I have it set. For example, when on Wi-Fi, take everything offline. So for example, now when I look for a Tech Roundup, Africa Tech Roundup, right? African Tech Roundup. It should come up. 
and and automatic automatically you know do the first three episodes or add it here there it is so it and of course we're on there oh yeah look at look at all these great uh, podcasts i should listen to safaricom becomes latest mobile provider subisud angani which i know about a lot we're gonna talk about that we're gonna so talk about that because Agua, yeah yeah and rebecca yep so now it's on my now it's on my thing. It's gonna be downloaded, and I'll, I'm gonna be w- listening to it because the next flight I get onto, so I travel a lot. You know, nothing nothing worse than a 16 hour flight to SF from Africa. Uh, guess what I'm gonna be listening to? It's all these podcasts that are on my phone, including this Tech Roundup. So, so we're gonna uh, hold you to that, actually. So, um, well done. Tell me about this crazy life of yours. You're obviously part of the new wave of venture capital hitting African shores, except you're sort of returning home and you've decided to... I'm glad you brought that up because... um, So, like, it's very easy to burn yourself out, entrepreneurs or venture capitalists, because, you know, when you're starting a fund, you're starting a... It's like anything. You're giving birth to an entity. Uh, And I I laugh when I'm here in South Africa because, you know, every other person went to, to Cape Town. Uh, was I'm like no, I want Joburg. Like Joburg is like cool. Like I want to see more of the action. But I, I'm always suspicious when people are moving to to Cape Town from Joburg because it's a lifestyle uh, decision. But are they going to be as effective as they as they are when I met them in Joburg? And given that you've invested in firms that are based in Cape Town, yeah, yeah. and I mean you're spending a lot more time in Joburg here, what's your sense of the scene between the two places? So, so actually, I'll, I'll quickly say that compared with Nairobi, right? So I'm Tanzanian, and Tanzanians have like a more calm demeanor than Kenyans. And, but I'm very hyper-Tanzanian. I'm very different because I was educated in the West Coast. And, you know, so when I come to Kenya, I love it. It's high energy, but I still need my Tanzania roots. So that's part of the reason I moved. And so Joburg and Cape Town reminds me of the same thing. Like, I, I, I can see myself spending three or four years in Joburg burning out almost or moving for a lifestyle decision and go to Cape Town. But I'd be worried that I, you have to be able to easily get back and forth. So the best thing about Joburg and Cape Town is you can actually have it both. But how many flights a day do you have between Joburg and Cape Town? Like, I think 15, 16? So, like, you know, it's, it's you know, between Nairobi and Dar es Salaam, it's maybe eight or nine. Uh, well, I'm moving to Arusha uh, in northern Tanzania. So I can drive up to Nairobi and I can fly down with fast three times a day to Dar and then get to South Africa easy as well. So it's actually, this is about positioning me to be closer to southern Africa but also still close to Nairobi. And also, uh, you know, I might, by some nationalistic chance, invest in a Tanzanian company, which I've not done yet, out of 21 investments. Sam, your, ho- your homies must be a little sore about that. Uh, I'm actually concerned that Magufuli will call me and be like, what will Magufuli do? Invest in lean Tanzanian startups. So, like, I, I probably will have to in the, in the end invest. But I, there are, I, I've been seeing stuff in Tanzania. It's just that Kenya can suck a lot of energy out of you. I mean... Kenya is Kenya. It's great for many th- reasons, but one of them is also it's very, very um, dynamic with a lot of people coming in. So I'll give you an example. Like yesterday, someone called me, a Swedish entrepreneur, called me saying like, hey, are you in Nairobi? I'm like, no, I'm in Joburg. Like, I'd like to pick your brain. I'm like, no, you can't pick my brain. Like, I just can't physically do inf- info, informational interviews with every wannabe entrepreneur or entrepreneur who wants to understand a certain industry in Kenya because it's just, I guess I understand how Eric feels now a little bit because he plays that role a lot in Nairobi. Like, you know, kind of like the person who everyone goes to and asks for advice. But I can't do that. I'm an adventure capitalist. We have 21 companies now. I have to help them. So I have to step off that role of, like, educating everyone, right? And it's interesting. Part of the reason why I'm moving to Tanzania is that so that I can be more uh, objective in the Pan-Africa. I'm a Pan-Africanist, right? And so, you know. So tell me about you. You mentioned Eric. I, I, I imagine you speaking about Eric Hirschman. Yes, Eric Hirschman. Uh, he's a partner in the fund. 
but also runs Ushah- uh, sorry Brick is his full he runs that as COO founder of Ushahidi and iHub as well so that whole ecosystem he's involved in what do you make of the hoi polloi uh, surrounding uh, the issues at um, at uh, I almost said Andela at Angani yes yeah, so it was actually um, I cut my trip short I was meant to be in Nigeria for longer and go to Accra to help you know with Africoin you know there but I, I as soon as I heard because I was in the US fundraising which I do a lot of uh, and I heard about the story uh, through actually blogs like yourselves and others and I was like okay this is bad and I got all the emails as well from the board and uh, the company so um, but I really didn't you never get a sense of what's really going on so I actually made it a priority to come back to Nairobi early before this trip as well to Joburg and talk to Fariz uh, he's actually the only person I talked to so far like face to face in a coffee, like understand because uh, I just noticed that that was the bit that I was missing the most. Gotten like the board, um, because Eric's on the board. I'd gotten the, that communication. Uh, I'd seen what the PR I heard from customers even. For example, Sandy was one of the customers, which is one of our other investments, right? Latest investments in Kenya, Sandy, which is Faricom and uh, invested as well, and they were using uh, Angani, and also some big clients were affected as well. So I wanted to understand what happened, and my conclusion is that. You know, and you probably saw this on Savannah, on Savannah, Savannah Fund uh, Twitter as I did a poll on are African startups ready for, ready for governance, actually? Are they ready for, you know, because when you raise a, a serious round with institution, institutional investors, you typically have to form a board. Um, and actually, I, you know, the accelerator where, you know, we spend a lot of our time and people think it's a joke. Right? Oh, accelerator, you know, you're just throwing away your money. No, like we train, we put more effort into educating the entrepreneurs about what it means to have a board. So I think actually, I'm, going to, I'm not saying they should have done an accelerator, but I'm saying that they, sh- they probably didn't understand the board dynamics well enough. So for example, there's a, there's a phrase called stacking your board, right? which is basically saying that when you have a party, you may want to invite your friends, not your enemies, <laughs> very simply put, right? And I think the tension was that some entrepreneurs or, so, or in Africa in general, investing, uh, you know, risk capital is so hard to get that you often just rush and get the capital and not understand who is actually involved. They may be all well and good, but you, you have to choose who's going to be on your board. It's early in VC space in Africa, right? And so if you look at the, the mature, let's like, say Sequoia or like any of these big, you know, Anderson Horowitz, if you're, if, you're launching, if you're launching a startup and you got a term sheet from, from Sequoia or Anderson Horowitz and you were told that Ben Horowitz or Andreessen was going to be on your board, you'd be like, whoa, like you should actually value that board position more than you would the money. I don't think that's, that is quite yet there, right? So what I'm saying is that it's very early. Even I only sit technically on like uh, two or three boards, but I'm not exercising those board positions. I don't, I don't influence the company through the board, right? Um, I influence the most through the accelerator. But when we, you know, for some South African companies, like when, when we visit South African companies, you know, in Cape Town, and you know, we've done three, the board is quite locally based and the governance is quite locally central. I just show up and say, hey, when you guys come to Kenya or Tanzania, I can help out. But I don't have a board seat and I don't have much influence. But, uh, you know, it may be in the future if we could follow on invest. And as part of the investment, we're telling, taking them to East Africa. Maybe I might take a board seat. But I only ask to be on the board if I'm required. I think with Angani, um, I don't think um, Fariz, uh, uh, Brian, and, uh, and Riaz uh, uh, really understood the dynamics between having Eric from Savannah Fund and... Miguel from uh, Investor Development on the board. So, like, I, I've talked to startups now who look at that and say, like, I, I'm simulating myself. How, what happens if I split with? Because in the end, Riaz and Fariz basically split. 
and that then caused divisions. And it's a, th- it's a five-person board for a reason, so you're going to have to take sides. People took sides for whatever even reason they had to take. I, I don't know enough about the company. You should really ask Eric more about what that, uh, his side of the story. But essentially, the board was stacked against uh, uh, Therese and Brian. But th- Look, who are the founders? So we've heard today um, some institutional, some people from institutional players talking about how fundamentally, at, at a very basic level, all the world's best fintech startups, the last thing they want is to be acquired, or the last thing they want is to be controlled, or their sort of entrepreneurial sense and their sense of innovation and excitement and, and their power um, usurped. How much of that is at play in, in the African startups you've observed, and how much of that was at play in the Sangani case? Um, so I can't come because again, Eric is on the board. I'm not, yeah. right? But I think you have to take investor relations seriously. You have, you have to take investor relations seriously. So if you're going to take money from any corporate VC or any VC, you should ask who's going to be on the board and do I like that person? And what are the chances of them leaving or uh, changing their mind about how they feel about the company? Like You have to really... The problem is that there's not enough choice in getting invest, investor, private equity investment or venture capital investment in Africa for people to be able to say, okay, we have five term sheets from you know, five uh, investors in you know, Africa, and we're going to pick. And two or three of them are like the same price. Uh, and two of them have really weird con- board members we don't really want to work with. We don't like them. We didn't get a good vibe. I mean, this is a slick of the show, right? You know, you know. Um, what happens when that guy dies? The old, the, the eccentric billionaire guy dies, and then the you know the, the new board member comes on board, like the woman. Remember, it t- t- you know. So like that didn't happen with Angani, but I'm saying that there isn't enough choice for entrepreneurs to decide. Look, we gel with this firm. Well, I think so. The one thing about Angani as well is that Fariz and Riaz were close to Eric for obvious, you know, uh, and so um, that made it easy for I think for Eric to help connect. Um, to investor development, and in your view, this this is this is just um, course of normal normal course of in the normal course of business. This is nothing to worry about. This happens all the time in a healthy startup ecosystem. It should actually be expected. Yeah, it should be expected. I, I just think that um, uh, we did a VC course. We brought Knife Capital and University of Cape Town to K- to South Africa, uh, student Kenya, to to and Fareed was actually was actually in that class for a little bit. Um, and no, you have to understand who's on your board. Like even I have to decide with Savannah Fund at some point when, if I when I grow up. So I'm still like not grown up as a VC. I'm still my investors who invested in me in the, in in the first fund are Dave McClure, Tim Draper, you know, a bunch of family offices. They trust me, right? And they don't need me to be. You know, and, the, and the fund is low in size, so I can innovate and try stuff. Africoin, like that's something we came up with. Like, you know. But I think many startups uh, may not, they don't need a board too early. Like, it may constrain them. So just like the same thing as selling too early, right? So I think startups in the seed round shouldn't, shouldn't form serious boards. That's the conclusion that I, I would say. They sh- because Zangani was doing well, and the founder disputes could have been resolved without a board, I think. Okay, and so uh, moving on now. This is really, really a big issue at play here. And actually, South Africa has the, you know, the three investments are made in South Africa have shown excellent governance. Um, you know, it's very much, I get, literally, end of the month, I get a nice email with all the stats, metrics. It's much harder to get those in other parts of Africa, actually. Like, uh, and, you know, um, they see boards as like formalities that we just have to, you know, but here they're taken seriously, right? People actually, you know, have actual minutes and stuff. Minutes, and, you know, it helps if you do it in a wine farm or make it nice. And, but they take them seriously. They're, like, serious. It actually is surprising because 
you know, in Kenya, you'll see banks publish the financial statements in the paper, which I'm like, whoa, that's amazing governance. But you don't see in startups, like, the translation of, like, you know, do you produce, for example, Malaika, who's one of my associate, associate principal, she joined Sendi as a COO. And, I, and, and also Meshak of Sendi also was at the VC course. And they get it. Like, they understand the, you know, the issues around the board. And they had to form a board with Safaricom investing because they wouldn't invest with them, you know, right? But they, they thought through exactly what that is. I, I just think that um, with the Angani case, uh, you know, that, that, just, that, that, just, that, that just wasn't thought through very well. And also, it's also kind of all Savannah Fund's fault a little bit because I requ- requ- requested that Eric be on the board of Angani because Eric knows for reason. And I said, that would be awesome because they get along. And It's your fault. It is all your fault, sir. Um, I would say no. It's, 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 I'm messing with you, really. It, it, it's a good question. You know, who's, um, so, this, this is interesting because um, I checked in with Angani now and then, and things seem to be doing well, right? I noticed a little bit of tension between the two founders. As in Riaz and um, Riaz and, and Fariz, but that's not uncommon. It's not uncommon. It's just that it, the board mess ended up. Uh, yeah, and I I just don't know enough about what happened because I'm not on the board. One question: Don't you think there should have been some leadership from the board, like Eric? Um, so, to be honest, first of all, we have to ask who put in the most money into that deal. Um, and it wasn't really Savannah Fund. It was it, it was investment development. So I think if the leadership it should come from them. So you should you should try and get hold of Miguel and ask him what actually happened because you know. But also Eric's put in a tight spot because um, he is trying to play the sort of uh, ecosystem player because he's trying to connect investment development into Kenya. I don't play that role. I, I, I as I said earlier, I don't try and like you know you know be. I, I try and reduce my exposure to like be the like. So you're around Kenya, Nairobi, tech scene. I try to do my job investing. Uh, and so I think, and also Eric also runs Brick, which investment development I've also invested in. So, so do you know, you, you can figure out, like it's, it's hard for Eric. So let's talk to, what, to your, to, let's speak to the point that you just raised now. I just think it's hard for Eric because he's doing that. And, you know, you should, you should ask the person who holds the most influence is the, typically the investor with the most money. And, and actually underlying this is actually who's on the ground. You know, you should ask the investor development have someone on the ground. Did they sense these issues? Did they resolve? Like, who? Why do they back uh, Riaz over Fariz? Like, so that's that's for them to answer. Like, because in the end, they are the one that orchestrated everything. I think. And you know what? Uh, let's maybe speak to the. Because maybe it represents investor development. I don't know. Uh, so, like, you should know your linkages with every single. So, like, you know, if if say like you are related to me. And now we're doing this podcast. Like we might have some weird biases that come up, right? And, and maybe I actually. So I mean, everyone knows Savannah Fund sponsors and founded AfriCoin. We just it's very clear, right? I, yeah, like like I think people, if you look at the Angani deal, they were you know interesting links, right? For example, Savannah Fund loves iHub because we can partner with Eric and get good deal flow, and that's there's a relationship between Savannah Fund and iHub. I think Investor Development has a relationship with Eric because they also invested in Brick. Right, and that's great because this development can also, you know, use Eric to kind of get into other deals. It's a relationship business a lot of the times, right? Um, and yeah, like that's kind of um, what you, what I think we have to be careful of and disclose some of the links and what it might mean in, in terms of conflict. So let's talk about a, a broader issue. You don't want to see me fighting with my mother or my dad or my sister in a in a family. You know, family businesses not pretty. They, they can they can end in disaster. Like you know, watch Godfather, watch whoever you want to watch. 
right? So, so what about this broader issue that was raised by a lot of bloggers? It was, it just hit, you know, the Twitter sphere like went totally berserk yeah, yeah. over this notion that um, investors, greedy Western investors who don't really care or aren't entirely invested in the future and the well-being of Africa's tech ecosystem swoop in with dodgy profit motives, edge people out and sort of is, – is that an extreme view that has no basis in this case, do you think? It's a very extreme view. And I think Eric's post tried to nail it, but I don't think he did a you – know, it, it was a good post as far as I was concerned, but it didn't resonate necessarily with everyone. That's, that's what I that's why because I deal with that all the time because and the reason why this comes up is because people sometimes think I'm Kenyan right you know and there are photos of me wearing a Kenyan you know rugby shirt with like pay kind in Silicon Valley and you know but I have invested in nine Kenyan companies and I've invested in zero Tanzanian companies right so I'm a foreign investor in Kenya investing in nine startups like ask any I challenge you to find maybe maybe village capital can come close to that as being the only other foreign investor in the, in the tech space or in the early stage space who's invested as many companies, maybe ADA and PH. But, but my... my now nah, they're just sort of culling their, their, nah, their interest like, I mean, slowly. It will probably have one eventually, maybe by the end. Yeah, yeah but they were pioneers early. In. I'm missing, I'm missing. I'm just... But so the reason I say is that you know, people always ask, why aren't more Kenyans investing in, in uh, Kenya tech, right? When I come to South Africa, you know, I hear... South Africans complain that the VCs are very conservative and blah, 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 but they do invest eventually, right? In Kenya, there is not many local investors, and so that only leaves foreign investors. And if you scare them away, then it's bad. So one of the things I always talk about is MVTUs, right? Have you ever heard the term MVTUs? No. What are those? So I started, so one of the things that I do a lot in Nairobi is I spend a lot of time outside of the IHUB, surprisingly, right? No. Yeah. Um, uh, so you'll see me in Westlands, you know, and I'll, I'll talk to some rich you know, Kenya, and I'd be like, hey, why aren't you investing in tech startups? And, oh, that's MVTUs. So MVTUs, M, you know, MVTUs is things in Swahili. So, so M things. Ah. Uh, M things. M everything. Like M Copa. You know, pick your M. In, uh, you know, and, and I tweeted this once. Like, M, tweet, you know, in, in Kenya, it's about, you know, investing in the, you know, the M, insert your vowel noun, you know. The M items. So, so I noticed something very interesting in Kenya as well. Like, some of the wealthier Kenyans who... We're saying like, no, we don't want to invest in the MV2s because that's like a foreigner thing. So even they were like thinking like, no, this is a playground for foreigners to like invest in tech. We don't believe in it. The real investors, investors make money in real estate, which yes, you do make money in real estate. But it's a long-term play, right? It's like the minute there's an exit, you know, uh, you know like of central size in Kenya, people will start to play local ecosystem. And that's what we pray for. Like that's what we need at some point, right? And you're saying people need to be appreciative of what interest we have had or what f- interest we're able to attract and and be fair in understanding that the, the dynamics of what it takes to, to get a startup off the ground, especially one the size of, say, you know... Uh, yeah, and Angani actually is interesting because I think they actually were doing pretty good, right? And I think they probably might still do pretty good depending if they can recover from this, you know, uh, you know kind of uh, fallout. Do you think that's part of the issue that pe- that we don't have enough sort of hugely runaway like huge runaway successes to sort of point to such that when you know things like this happen at Angani and others we just sort of nail is very interesting so you probably all I think I think I read it at some blog yesterday that M Copa raised 19 million dollars from Richard Branson Steve Case all these foreigners 
Here's that, there's that M thing again. But, yeah, M Copa. But M Copa is not a Kenyan startup. M Pesa is not a Kenyan invention. Thank you, Vodafone. Yes. So, so actually, all. So, I think the real thing underneath that uh, is that um, Kenyans are wary that foreigners, not only investors, but also um, entrepreneurs, come in and take in all the spoils market. Ah. There you go. Listen. So, so, so I am proudly one of the We Savannah Fund like to invest in Africans in Africa. So we've only done maybe two exceptions. Tony of NS Education and maybe Bainu. Or I guess it's Zimbabwe living in Australia. But every other company out of 21, so 19, is a f- local founder. Like Kenyan in Kenya, Ugandan in Uganda, Nigerian in Nigeria, Ghanaian in Ghana, South African in South African. So we think that's very important. And I think it will override any issues we ever see around foreign investment. Because we're backing for low. But I think if you look at like the MCOPAs and Bridge Academy and all the successes in Kenya, a lot of them are actually foreign founded and have taken foreign capital. And it's much easier to do that. Uh, and they can raise a lot of money. Uh, so what, what advice would you give to foreigners coming in? So you've given a lot of, you've spoken a lot I to... A lot for this. I'm a lot yeah. So what would you say to people like Eric who haven't entered the market yet, but are looking at it and going, I could, I could make a difference in this ecosystem. Yeah, what are the things to look out for? Easy, I think. I think you have to find a local uh, uh, partner who can be on the investment on the investment team, like a partner, not like a not a, not a protege, not an actual partner. partner. And you make them let them make the mistakes. Not a token. Not a token. It has to be a Kenyan in Kenya or Tanzania in Tanzania that is from that country, uh, knows the ecosystem, and you and this is the most important part. Like, and you have to give them the business card that says they represent, you know, London fintech fund or Silicon Valley growth fund or you know, Cape Town, you know, Africa, Pan-Africa Fund, whatever the assets in the business card, it should, it should, so everyone knows where the money is coming from, but they're local and they're hired and they're on the pay- and they live in that country or ideally or in the region. And this is, the, this is the most important bit, really, really important bit. They need to have a pot of money they can deploy um, without the central foreign, like, you know, foreign influence. And it can be low. And it can be like, say, okay, so say, you know, fintech, a fund in New York coming into Nairobi has $50 million to play with in Africa, right? Um, they should probably give the guy in Kenya uh, or gal in Kenya maybe a million to play with 20 startups over two, three years. And uh, blank, you, can, you get full, full disclosure, you know, you know, you make, carte blanche. you make mistake, yeah, carte blanche, you make mistakes, it's fine. And then from those 20, let's see what you do. And then when we start trying to write like a $10 million checks, then you have to like report back up to you know New York and convince them that this company is worth it. But then who's doing this though? Who's doing who? Not who? Many, not many of them are doing it. Maybe Acumen Fund a little bit, but there's always like or Omidia. They they tend to have centralized investment committees. They have high investment thresholds right when they start, and so because capital requirements are not high, like just get going. So they should use a, the the opportunity to do a seed fund to, uh, and also the, the one thing I've heard is that they they just don't. Oh, they're scared of Kenya. Like, wait a minute. You invest in Kenya and you're scared of Kenya? Like, that doesn't make any sense. So, you know, if you're going to come into Kenya, go into Kenya full, full on. It's a control thing, right? Surely. Yeah. But, you know, um, so one of the things that I talk a lot about with the impact investors and other foreign investors is like, you have to, if you're going to make the ecosystem grow, you also have to get them, make the investors grow locally as well. And so investor training or whatever you call it, we did that with Life Capital. Like, that's very, very important. You know, so, so not only are you, so you have to train the investors locally to understand the issues, uh, but also let them make mistakes. So there's actually a phrase I heard once in Silicon Valley where, like, 
the cost of training a new VC is like fifty million dollars. Did you know that? You're speaking in terms of the amount of money, the, the amount of money he or he or she would need to make mistakes to, to the point where they make <laughs> they actually make something work. Yep. Yep. So with Savannah Fund, I would say that our first fund has been basically like, what can we learn and do, you know, in Africa, and uh, and you know, and then when it, when it gets more serious, you know, then I think there'll be more controls. But you have to make those mistakes. There will be mistakes, and Ghani's, you know, maybe one of the one of many, right? I mean, there's 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 some that I you don't hear about, right? Many you don't hear about. And it's also it's also stories of investors losing money. Why is it that when founders get screwed over, apparently, then the big stories made? Why about investors losing money? Oh yeah, that's generally because we don't care that someone's got like one less mansion to recline to on the holidays and stuff. I guess. <laughs> but you don't think about the fact that when an investor loses money due to corruption or bad governance, that they may not be follow-on invest, which is Eric's blog saying that if we start demonizing foreign investors, then they won't come back. That's fair so, enough. So, fair so, enough. You know, this, yes, these, these people have a lot of money, but they're also looking for returns. So if they get returns, you get more of that. So it scales, right? So actually, I, I think, you know, yes, these people can afford to, you know, because risk capital is a very crazy beast in investing. It's very small, right? And it's, it's money that can actually be lost, right? So I don't get my investors coming to me saying, hey, Angani is a total disaster. What the hell happened? You know, because, and I, I report it. But they go, oh, you know, so, so actually when I report my fund to my investors, like, and it's all good news, something's wrong. <laughs> like, what, what is he not doing right? We are a risk fund. We're not like save your grandmother's money fund, right? It's expected. And so what I'm hearing from you. Like, yes, like, you know, but um, so I'm not going to name the company, but we've had out of 21 investments, one investment that ran out of, ran, the money just disappeared, just ran away, like, just, just gone home. <laughs> This is not Angani or anything. Angani is still around. The company, it's still, you know, we'll see how it goes. But this is a company that just, like, just, yeah. And that's something that we don't want to happen ever again. Um, but it, uh, thank God it only happened once or 21 times so far in three years. That's pretty good going. And so, but, but, you know, and so, like, me reporting that to the auditors in Mauritius, for example, where our fund is, they probably find that also strange because they're not used to startups. So, so who in the chain understands startups, right? So that's actually one of my least favorite activities to do is to audit. The, no, who, who likes auditing here? No, no one, right? Um, but that I have to do it as a fund manager, and that's really annoying. But you have to do it. And so, so we're doing auditing, and, I, and basically one company came up and they're like, "What about this company?" And I said, "Come on, guys! Like this is like I just 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 next because this is a complete write-off. Do you want me to write it off now or tomorrow? It doesn't matter. Let's just write it off." And that impacts the fund. But having you know, and that's the first full hundred percent. It was a celebrator investment. Being an investor is is, is tricky, right? Uh, you know, it can be tricky. So let's talk about broader issues in this East African tech ecosystem. Such an interesting place to be at the moment, right? It is. It is, it is very interesting. Um, so let's talk about sp- something specific. These mobile operators, right? I mean, West Africa is burning up. East Africa is, 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 is following suit. Is this a trend? Tien and Safaricom and uh, just the recent moves with startups or fines or what? Pretty much. I'm, I'm looking, there seems to be a trend. And tell me if you think it's a trend. Is, the, is there a trend towards forcing these hugely successful entities to start to account? So um, I just think it's a giant chess game that you need to understand how the pieces are moving. Um, so, for example, MTN going to Nigeria and having, you know, getting to this position they've gotten to and getting fined shouldn't be a surprise when you think about the fact that this is African firm in Nigeria. That my dad or so you you are saying there might be a political yeah, thing it's there. Not market issues. So I, I'm going to bring up something very important. You will see. You probably saw me tweet about this a lot or post it. 
the like I teach a non-markets class in Stanford. You know that, right? Yes, that I'm aware yeah. of. Yes, and, and it's my it's my, that's your alma mater, correct? Yeah, yeah. It's my favorite thing to do, and when I'm in Silicon Valley, is to walk into this class of like innovators, MBAs who are like, you know, want to like bring Bitcoin to Africa, and and guess what? And the last time I brought a Bitcoin Tawanda from Bitfinance was there, and you know, the class is about entrepreneurship in emerging markets, and that particular uh, uh, segment I teach is about non-market issues. Like, so I also worked in aerospace, and aerospace is also very non-markety. Uh, because you have, you know, for example, yesterday I was glued to ask Elon Musk. <laughs> Instead of writing the welcome emails for AfriCoin last night in my hotel room, I was watching Syria uh, vote because I was like, shit, this is going to be big. Like Britain going to war. This is Britain saying we're going to war. And there's implications there. So I think about investing in the ecosystem in tech in Africa, particularly in fintech, the same way. Right? The same way. Like I, I think about what has African got to lose? What has the government of Nigeria got to lose? Right? So I was, this isn't hilarious. I, and I feel really bad about this. There was a conference on the internet about Abuja, right? It was actually one where I was going to talk about something really nerdy. I get to be nerdy and talk about like platforms and Xiaomi and you know how Android and how we you know it's open innovation. And uh, and it was all fully paid for. Um, they were even going to give like uh, speaker fees, which I didn't really want, but I, I was happy to get paid to go, you know, to, to my combination covered. And they had to uh, they had to uh withdraw that because the nigerian government were like asking for like back taxes and back rent on the land because what the oil price took a dive like six months ago and now they have budget shortfalls in the government and now they're looking for every single way they can get revenue the nigerian government looking for every single way they can get revenue they have to before they weren't as 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 hungry for that so that is definitely an influence as to what happened with mtn if you're looking from the outside in, you're looking for a sort of straight line between this and that, and there's a million things. There are other issues, for example, like I noticed when I arrived in Lagos recently, and I and I got my MTM SIM card, I uh, got it very quickly and easily within less than two minutes, um, and um, it wasn't registered. And the Nigerian government is worried about that, so they worried about Boko Haram and they worried about what it means to have unregistered SIM cards. So that this is to their credit. MTN doesn't care as much. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. They want to make, so, so you have two sides. You have the government wants to make m- more government revenue. Maybe they're using this to like extract a massive fine from a big war chest of fund, you know, of MTN. And uh, and also they also they also care deeply about uh, you know Boko Haram. So they have to really understand where who's calling who. And so these issues come up. So let's let's go to Kenya now, right? So in my first three months in Nairobi when I moved there, I did not go and meet them at all. Oh, I did not want to go and see them. Cause I, Why? Because I was because I knew that Safaricom was already like a big. Co- I always work at Microsoft uh, and as a product manager for my, for Excel, which is again a dominant software platform. If I'm, if I'm going to try and build like the Google Doc spreadsheet, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try and work with Microsoft in any way. And that's what I saw when I got to Kenya. I'm like, look, Embassy is great. It's amazing. People try and build on top of it, but at the same time, it's it's very closed. Right? Because I remember when I was a product manager at Microsoft uh, with Excel, how hard it was for startups to try and integrate with Excel. Right, It was really, really hard. And when Google Docs came out, that battle was like shaping out very, very crazily. So I take competition, uh, non-market issues very seriously into when I invest in Africa. Um, I, I, I don't think it's a surprise. So let's move into like BitPesa and why they're, you know, they're suing Safaricom. We looked at BitPesa. We did not invest. Right, We have a policy. Again, it's, number one policy is like Africans in Africa. Which, by the way, might help you with non-market issues, surprisingly, right? If I invest in Tawanda in Zimbabwe, who's Zimbabwean indigenous, he might get a nice wink or favorable thumbs up from a central bank versus like a foreigner coming in. But I'm also a foreigner operating in, in, in Kenya, so like I have to be careful about permit issues, you know. So like 
it, it's really complicated. You have to think about these things. Like, and so why didn't you invest in BitPesa? We didn't invest in BitPesa. The first reason I might mention is like because it was not a it was not a local founder, which which we believe is important when you have uh, uh, no market issues with the local, local local country. And you think that that factor played into the troubles they're having with Safaricom. What about Lipasha? So, 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 so Lipish, Lipisha, Lipisha. Lipisha. Actually, we accepted the first accelerator, so I know them both. Those companies. So I think with Lipisha, I think it's just the fact that you know they're, they're picking on on. Only Pisha, you know, but really to get to because of course Lipisha was the majority business was going through uh, Bitpesa, right? Uh, Bitpesa was the biggest client. But what do you make of a company like Safaricom being in a position to do that? Uh, on the issues, I mean, this is also following uh, what what what, the, what a judge in Uganda just ruling against MTN essentially malicious activity, anti-competitive activity. Is there no? Would you say that there is a fundamentally problematic? issue with bullying tactics when it comes to mobile operators in East West Africa, perhaps even oh, further down the equator. They're trying, to, they're trying to thrive. They understand disruption is coming, right, in, in their space, whether it's Bitcoin and mobile money or whether it's like other, other issues uh, or WhatsApp, for example, right? They, they're probably, I think WhatsApp was a really big event when it got acquired by Facebook. Shame. Here, Vodacom and Celsius and M- even MTN is going, oh, regulate them. Poor guys. Shame. By the way, I, I actually think that Vodacom here is probably overcharging me on my, uh, on my, on my, on my data. Can I just confirm that they are? They are. Uh, well, let me just take that back. I want to get sued. <laughs> they totally are. Because, be, because, because I, I was in South Africa last in, uh, in September, and I, and I bought, I think, three gig for like, what, 200 rand or something like that? 200 rand? That's that would be a lot of that would be a lot of data for that much money. You probably got charged a whole lot more. Two hundred bucks for three gigs, something like that, right? Yeah, but but you know that's enough for a week for me to like do my, but and I did it right. But this time round, I've spent way more, like way more. Like it's the same same device. It's an iPhone. I don't know. I don't know. What can and, I say? And, and I'm also in Wi-Fi half the time as well, like here, like in Apple Code, right? So anyway, like so, I think that these mobile operators are like are reacting in weird ways to innovation from startups, and you know, I think they're also by, they're also at the same time trying to build up their uh, innovation strategy around hubs and funds. So to take Safaricom with their with their new fund. So like as much as I think Safaricom is in, is is can, can be a bully, they also are trying, right, uh, with their fund. And so like so you know like. With the Sendy deal, which is actually the proudest that I'm, the proudest Kenyan deal that I've done, I think, like is because Safaricom is there, and that was their first investment out of their fund, which we could see coming up, right? So it's like investor capital. You want to have a good network of people with you. So like here in Apple Code, like I, I, you know, it's great to meet like the RMI guys, Barclays, Warren, because and and I get a Joe Burger like feel. I've done that in in Cape Town. I, I know like you know Knife Capital, Justin Sanford. I know the Inventfin guys. You have to know your investors, and if it's corporate, it's even more important. So Safaricom, I think, have been playing. It's it's like you know, it's like you know, you know, it's like one hand doesn't know what the other one's doing, right? So like Safaricom is a big corporate, and you know, Mpesa does one thing. The, the corporate does the corporate venture capital side does another thing, and they don't necessarily communicate. So, for example, one of my questions I always ask, like a Sandy, is like, how much is Safaricom helping? Um, in every single way, right? Are they helping you? Are, are they helping you with work permits if you're a foreigner, like Malaika? Are they helping you with um, with Mpesa integration? Can you fast track the like, you know? Um, what are they doing to help? Are they helping you with like distribution, or is it just token investment to try and look good? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and that's what we I don't know yet. It, but but you know, like in South Africa, it's more serious for sure. Like 
the, the people I meet here who are doing corporate investment, like Invenfin uh, from Revgo, is more serious. I think Barclays and obviously uh, RMI is more serious. You know, you just see Dominique, Dominique like on the panel, like she talks the talk, is serious about fintech. Um, but in Kenya with Safaricom, they still don't understand what it means to be. For example, there's an asset in them, so, definitely. So, so, so Safaricom, like, if you buy a company like Copa Copa, that would be like a very positive move. They're like, oh, but that would, that would be balance sheet issues and weirdness. I'm like, but you said you wanted to, you asked me, what, how can you do to improve? I told you, buy a company. Google Ventures buys and they invest, right? That's right. So if you want to be like Google Ventures, which is the gold standard of corporate venture capital, well, you have to like do both. So the other thing as well, which came up today in Af- today's AfriCoin, is that, um, is, you know, not every telco or bank has an M&A corporate dev, corporate dev division. Wow. You need a team that has blanket uh, trained and experienced to go around working with startups. And, and, and they are basically able to tell you, look, I represent Safaricom or MTN, and we are looking at investing in your company or acquiring it. Uh, let's talk. And dedicated team. It, it, it can't be like a one-off thing that happens or a CSR thing. So they came up today, like, should you sell out to a, or buy, you know, it, it is, you know, it's hard, like, but it's not, it's not mature yet in, in Africa, right? Can I talk about something that came up in, actually a question that I asked uh, at AfriCoin earlier on, um, all this buzz around Bitcoin and blockchain, and I did. It's like last year we had noise, someone thought it was like Tron, they were like, it's not Tron, they said, Bitcoin. <laughs> did you just say I made a lot of noise, is that what you said? Yeah, yeah, no, we, we, we know, we, so I actually, oh, you know, with a big, I like AfriCoin so much because we always position the Bitcoin panel nicely in the middle after lunch, so like gets energy pumping, uh, and everyone's arrived and, you know. Um, and yeah, and so, so I was I was the firelighter today. Tessa was in the first AfriCoin com- the panel in 2013, and it was similar. And then we had Bidex and a bunch of others in Cape Town, and it was similar. And this time around, we have banks in the room, and it's still similar. So can I ask you what I asked? What I asked? Yeah, yeah, what yeah, my yeah, issue was? Yeah. So you had all these players. You had institutional players. You had some startup uh, founders um, for these platforms, all sort of creating applications, Bitcoin applications snazzy things all sort of saying that bitcoin is the future the blockchain is the future um you know talking uh but my question basically was show me how show me how everything you're talking about isn't just another layer of fat over the problems that um the developing world is having in, in in creating an inclusive environment for the poorest of the poor show me how bitcoin answers that question and and tell me how your the gradual adoption of of this technology by incumbents we already don't trust is somehow going to make anything better for anybody on planet earth so this uh, so i i think after a while after i heard you speak and and we chatted a little bit afterwards i understood your question quite well um so you know finance is this like i think uh, at the heart of it is like are there stone mason people out there that control the economy globally or in africa uh, I don't know. I'd say yes, but carry on. Uh, yeah, so I think that, that's the heart of the question. Uh, I, do you really? I mean, do you really say you don't know? Come on. No, like, is Bitcoin just another tool to? Is is it? Is Bitcoin uh, helping or, or 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 making that worse? Problem worse? Is it making? Is it democratizing finance or is it making? Like, I think for for a developer who's a geeky and has played with the protocol, they would say absolutely helps you jump on and build a fintech product. But you still operate in a world where central banks exist, safari comms exist, you know, non-market issues exist, right? And and that's 
that's actually why we chose Zimbabwe with Bitpesa. So with, with Bitfinance over Bitpesa in Kenya. That was actually a choice that we actually made at Savannah Fund. I'm saying this now. We actually, in the Stanford case study that's going to be made public, available over it, we made that choice. We, and the students have to decide. Yeah, and basically we say that we, we think that Kenya is very, very crowded and Safaricom is very, very weird in how they operate. Uh, and they're very defensive of M-Pesa. And although Elizabeth and her team at Bitpesa are awesome, we just don't think that's a great... We could be, we, we could be wrong, and I'm fully fine about being wrong, but we just thought it was more interesting to explore a local founder in Zimbabwe where there's chaos in the financial ecosystem. Seven currencies, which you heard today. And so that's kind of how I look at it. I don't think... So, th- so um, I think the fact that Bitpesa is trying to sue Safaricom shows that if the Bitcoin wins, it could threaten M-Pesa and hand, you know, undercut them, right? So, for example, I bring this up a lot. And the fact that in Tanzania, we have three or four more money players competing, and it's half the fees. Remember, I'm Tanzanian, so I use more money too. But you don't, you know, and it's half the fees to move money around. Whilst in Kenya, you have a monopolist, and the fees are more expensive. Why is that? It's structure of the industry, right? Uh, and so... I think Bitcoin offers like another alternative to put pressure on fees, which hence, which also I think helps um, keep them on their toes, innovate, and you know be more inclusive. So, uh, so I think the other part of your question is also like I think you mentioned that accessism does not equal inclusion. inclusion. I also agree. Like you know, um, when I walk into a bar in Cape Town as a black person and it's all white, like I can access it; it's there. And I can walk in, but it doesn't mean it's, it's inclusive when I'm in the club. I totally understand that aspect. And um, I also think even venture capital, you know, what I do can also be inclusive. There are many things in life where there's a club-like environment, right? And I think that there is an element of that for sure. Like, you know, so I, I, was, I, I actually was really interested in doing Africa and Joba because I was like, actually, this is the Wall Street of Africa. Like, Stan, Santon, this area here, Santon, is you know, uh, the Wall Street, of, and there's so, many, so much financial power con- in here. And so I was super interested to bring it here and see what people, but it would seem to be pretty, pretty interesting, right? Like, and no one answered the question, for the record. No one really answered the question. And, and so, uh, yeah, yeah, like, I mean, so I get very nervous about, so people that I, so back to your, back to your question more deeply, I am suspect of the World Bank. I'm suspect of, like, the new BRICS Bank. Those are people where I'm like, Okay, they maybe hold way more. So I was talking to Tawanda earlier about like and Vusi, both from Zimbabwe. Like, I was like, I, but I heard the World Bank just gave you guys like a thumbs up on like repaying. So they said no, 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 no. We, we we just got we, we negotiated that we can that they would repay some loans, which might open us up to borrowing more. Right when you look at Magufuli in Tanzania, right? What will Magufuli do? Is he doing this austerity madness? Like you're not allowed to. The government's not allowed to send. Christmas cards, apparently. That was the latest thing. I, uh, Are you serious? No, 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 no. You know, uh, Independence Day, you ha- also have to make sure you n- no parties just you know, work in your garden. But I- I'm certain that he's Eat a carrot. I'm certain that he's doing that because he knows that if he shows austerity, he'll get massive loans from the World Bank to be able to do what he wants to do. So, so I think Zimbabwe, um, from what I got from the Tawanda and Vusi, is that you know, you know, uh, the World Bank is interested in talking to them, but... Only if they start paying back their, you know, loans, and that's another kind of like characteristic weird thing. And I mean, the other side of my question was: let's be honest, where's the computing power? The world's computing power concentrated. It's in the same countries that essentially run the the legacy systems that 
have failed us and uh, and are backed by the very people who got us into crisis, um, you know, in the last two decades. So how how does Bitcoin? How does how do applications around the blockchain help address that? And and for me, it's yeah. So 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 it's actually a standards thing, right? So I, I, this is something that I actually find fascinating, right? So um, I remember the days of VHS and Betamax. And then also, I was a big Minidisc fan. I don't know if you remember the Minidiscs. No, I don't. Yeah, like... That, that was <laughs> that's how forgettable it was. No, 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 I do, but that's how forgettable it was. Betamax was Sony, and Minidisc was Sony. The compact disc was more open, right? VHS was, I think, more open, I think. Yeah. Um, and so we have the same thing happening in fintech now. Like, is M-Pesa, you know, the, is M-Pesa Blu-ray? So Blu-ray is the latest Sony thing, right? Uh, but, but actually... Closed as anything, and yes, yeah, M-Pesa yeah. would be Blu-ray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so, like, so you have to ask the question. So, so I think that's why I want to plug in Stella, right? Uh, which is, I think I mentioned earlier, right? You did. You mentioned it in, a, in, a competition, in, in, a, in our conversation earlier. And because the last time I was at Stella was really hilarious. Um, in Silicon Valley, I walked into their office... And there was a power cut. Like, I'd never seen a power cut in Silicon Valley before, like in San Francisco. And I was like, ha I walked in the African. I, I brought power cuts. And engineers were complaining that, oh, no, like, I got three hours power on my Mac. I can't, like, you know, I'm like, and Joyce, the, you know, executive director was like, you have three hours of power. Like, the power will be back in an hour. Like, and you're like, and so, and so he said, that's it. You have to go and deploy. You have to go and spend time in Africa. So, so, so Stello is actually an interesting cryptocurrency um, protocol and network that's trying to be, I think, trying, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe uh, Joyce and Jed will say I'm saying this wrong, but I, th- I think they're trying to be the Wikipedia of cryptocurrency, right? So they're, they're trying to, and they've structured their company so that it's very clear who owns what and who benefits from what. Because, you know, I think I talked to you about earlier, like with Bitcoin, we don't know who owns the Bitcoins. We don't know, you know, the, all this Bitcoin spreading uh, and, uh, and, and, and promotion by uh, folks on the startups. Are they just trying to get Bitcoins in the hands of more people, which then brings the price up? They're just trying to get us all on board. They want us to be enthusiastic about the... Basically, they're, they're trying to get us all to, um, to, to assign value, essentially. Yeah, so Stella takes that away completely. So where would we be in, in a world where Stella wins? I think it's the same world where Wikipedia wins. Like, where, like, when you search for something, you know, like, you know, who's the president of South Africa or, like, you type in Nelson Mandela, you get, uh, you know, in the first couple of links, you get the, and it's a crowd-funded or it's a crowd-sourced uh, information. So I think with, with Stella, like, we come to where with, with zero fees, zero who's benefiting from what you know very clearly, um, yeah, the mining pools are very clearly defined who's making money of what. Yeah, I, I suppose I, I really shouldn't go as far as this, but I mean, it's, it's, it's a complicated thing because, I mean, we need to go as far as... Uh, no, look, if we go as far as, um, again, looking at this locus of control issue, there are places in the world where electricity... Basics, like, will, will I die of malaria this, this year? You know what I mean? How pertinent to someone who's living with that basic fundamental is what we're calling the next wave of freedom and access. So we talked about this as well. Like, so I'm skeptical, even more skeptical than you are when it comes to the philanthropists, right? We talked about this a little bit. Oh, yeah, that's even worse, yeah. So, like, you know, uh, I, I think they're great. They've done great work, like Bill Gates or Zuckerberg. With- of course, like, he's giving away all 99% of his wealth. I, we love him, right? So, again, like... Just like any non-market issue, like you should be asking questions when, like, media networks investing in Paga, right? Uh, you know, are they laying the groundwork for eBay to come in? Flippinginternet.org. 
Have you have you looked at have you uh, and actually actually Sarah Lacey of Panadalia has written about this quite extensively with India. Um, the, I've gone I've, I've gone to Modi. I think was involved in a media network. I think in the, in the, look up the facts. And as soon as Modi became president, d- did they lift all the like uh, foreign e-commerce barriers? Oh my word. Oh, non markets. Oh no, 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 non markets. It's it's life. It's well, I have a lecture on such things. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it's it, you know, but the thing is it's like people are self interested, right? And you could hide behind the the, the 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 like financial inclusion narrative and you know we're helping. Internet is a is a right for all. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So I, I so I got a, when I went to India I was like shocked actually. I was, so I went to India uh, for medical tourism with family. Um apparently that's a thing, which i I guess it is. But um uh, I went to uh, an e-commerce site. Uh, I forgot the name of it. What's the biggest one in India called again? Oh, yeah. The, the, the Amazon. Uh, um, yeah, no, 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 no. Not Alibaba. They're an Amazon competitor. I forgot the name of it. But, um, so I was looking for a, for a Xiaomi phone. Because back then I was like, whoa, Xiaomi. I want a Xiaomi phone. And I kept seeing the, the, the Xiaomi phones low rated. So, I mean, if you Google, like, you know, on Amazon or search on Amazon, an iPhone, it's probably going to be, like, highly rated. Like, it's not going to be one star. Like, oh, this phone sucks. Like, no. So, I saw all the Xiaomi phones on, um, on, the, uh, on the site. What's it called again? We need to find out. Like, uh, I'm checking. I'm checking. I'm on I'm Google. Amazon's biggest competitor, Flipkart. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and so, I read the comments of why they're rated one. Just like when you look at a hotel and you say, oh, this, why is this hotel, like, two stars, one star? And someone says... This hotel is terrible because it's on a hill, and I'm fat, and I can't walk up the hill. That's obviously not a good way to rate a hotel. So I found the same thing it, with, 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 with Xiaomi. They said, people were saying, we're down, we, we don't want to buy f- anything from Flipkart because they are supporting internet.org. They allow you to browse. We can't comp- so it must have been like people who wanted to support Indian... Uh, e-commerce startups that were not deal with, with, with Facebook and so I was like that's when I was like wow in Africa we're so behind on this you know when internet, when internet.org adds like a um, adds an OLX which they do right oh my word uh, have you thought about what, what an OLX is not a charity it's not Wikipedia it's not yeah put Wikipedia on internet.org and free basics because that's a non-profit but if you put OLX on there that's not like a charity Zereda, so that's that's the issue. No, that's helping nomads in the in the Sahara sell their camels and stuff. Come on, guys, what's wrong yeah, with you? Two hundred, you know, well, you know, NASPA zones it like you know it has compa- local competitors exactly. Yeah. No, I'm being I'm being seriously tongue in cheek. So I think Internet.org's biggest battleground in Africa will be Tanzania. Actually, are you guys feisty like that? No, no, we're not. But I think it's because Tigo is doing so well there. Ah, I see. Whilst in in so for example in Kenya, Airtel is what. Um, uh, of course, Safaricom is the dominant one. So, so actually, you know, Safaricom would never let. I don't think they would. Actually, I find your your honesty with regards to these issues quite refreshing. And non-market uh, issues, non-market issues, non-market. You know, you know, it's it's something that I grew up in with working in the aerospace industry. It's something that, like I said, we mentioned before, is there a guy in the cigar room in under Santon who controls all of Africa's finance? Uh, oh, is it Washington? Or is it? Oh, you know, you know, is laughing at us, being like, "Oh, Grayston Drive running the continent." continent. <laughs> Some of them are very obvious if you look deep enough. Like, like when you see this, you know, the Flipkart thing. When you, you know, some of them are also very obvious when you look at the structure of the industry in Safaricom and the play in. 
some of them are very obvious when you look at like banking and how it works or infrastructure and um, look at the rollout of of, of this of this whole digital uh, the, the the whole um, analog to digital thing I mean it's pretty much uh, Korea's got that on lock yeah and, and so 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 the thing is like this is actually quite easy like take all that and make it influence your strategy as whatever you're doing so so Savannah Fund actually has lots of foreign investors but we try and brand ourselves as the Africans in Africa. So back to why did we not invest in BitPesa? And not only BitPesa, it's hundreds of others. I get them all the time. I'm a Finnish company coming to Africa. I'm a, I'm a British company coming to Africa. I get tons of them. Are you enough now? <laughs> we, we, we just don't do it. It's a decision we made as a fund. We, for, we, we, like, as Savannah Fund, we fund locals, and lo- locals in Africa because we think the next Jack Ma will be African. Probably, and therefore you've been sitting here for a while now. of Africa should be African. And if that happens, that person probably will invest in their own, and we want to be that part of that change. But, but unfortunately, this is kind of where like, people bust my bubble, is that Africa is full of stories of foreigners exploiting Africa. So uh, one of the things that I, should, I do a lot as a venture capitalist, which I've been advised by some mentors, is to read history. Right, so I've been reading history, history of Africa. So every country I go to, I read the history: Zimbabwe, West Africa, and you always have these issues. Like, so I actually uh, was quite depressed recently because I, I read this book, History of Africa. Uh, so uh, it was the fortunes of Africa, right? Uh, about the economic, you know, uh, growth of Africa, f- you know, for the thousands of years. And I realized that for the first, you know, chapter of Africa, it was all about slaves, gold, and ivory. That's all anyone cared about. I want to take you back to the Bitcoin issue. And so, I mean, you know, how, you know, I want to be part of the change that goes to reversing that and uh, allowing Africans to benefit from Africa and own. And so that is – so actually the end game for Savannah Fund is maybe our, our fund three is we have local LPs, pension funds, then it's – yeah, so, so when a Westgate happens um, or when a Safaricom is – or a central bank is assessing like whether they should sue BPES or not or whatever, whatever is what's going on, there's those things are factored in, right? Because, yeah, ultimately, you know, look at Donald Trump. He's probably doing well because he's so American, trying to be so Americanized. Mm-hmm. Right? Absolutely. No Syrians, no less, no that, no Mexicans. And he's driving. So it's, so it's like, I think ultimately in Africa, that's what needs to happen is that we need to move to a, a model where Africans are investing in Africa. But we have to get, it takes a while to get there. Sorry. But we demonize people who, who want to do that. But we'll get to that one day. I want to take you back to Bitcoin. Uh, I've seen well, there's examples of Forex. So if you're doing remittances from the U.S. and transferring money and you want to send money to Zimbabwe, for example, uh, they'll send U.S. dollar, exchange it into Bitcoin, and it gets sent to the person in Zimbabwe in Bitcoin, and obviously it gets changed back too. What my, my question is mainly, what's stopping? I mean, it's very easy. This is tech. It's software. What's stopping any African developer to come up with Bitcoin or blockchain-related mm-hmm. solutions? Not only on the fintech side, but also on the identity side or anything like that. It's just software. That's actually, that's actually an interesting question. Actually, it's talent. I, I, um, the only place where I've seen strong enough blockchain talent is actually at Stellenbosch, Fire ID plus Stellenbosch. You know. um, I've not seen it anywhere else. The, uh, uh, Bitsoko, who are speaking at AfriCoin, I think, tomorrow. I've come across where I literally was walking around the University of, yeah. of Kenyatta and I was like, whoa! And the professor was like, this guy received $100,000 from, uh, so from Big Gates Foundation. And I was like, whoa, that's cool. 
so there's funding going into development of that but you know I, we've also seen blockchain or bitcoin academies or schools i've been seeing a lot of uh that in south africa uh that's great uh alpha code maybe is going to be helping with that i don't know but um no no uh, ultimately i think it's a matter of like you have to understand the tech uh and it's also not very it's very cutting edge um and a lot of it's controlled as you mentioned not necessarily on our on, on our soil um See, this brings me this brings me back to the same issues around access and inclusion. And by the way, this is, this is kind of like really hilarious because people always ask me, "Is Africoin a real currency?" I'm like, "No, it's not. <laughs> that would be an event, folks." <laughs> but if I was to do that, which I might, um, I would have to go away for a long time, maybe like a three weeks, or maybe even I don't know. It's 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 a lot of effort. It's a would you create your own blockchain and then what would you do? Yeah, I mean, it, it, people were asking, is Afrocoin like, you know, the currency? Uh, but you know how all these, these, thing, these things, all, all these things are kind of a joke, right? So, so, so um, by the way, like, so Weebly is my joke, um, my joke uh, where, where I create joke sites. So Afrocoin was one of those. Like, we're discussing, like, you know, with some friends about Bitcoin. And, and someone said, yeah, we should, someone said, hey, what about Af- Africa's own cryptocurrency? And then Afrocoin. And so I was like, oh, that's so cool. So I went to Weebly, bought, uh, you know. But then, but, but then, of course, I was like, I need a fintech web uh, event. I'll, I'll use Africoin. The other one is actually Bank of Buana. Bank of Buana. <laughs> Bank of Buana. That's the latest one. And that was after a Zim trip, actually. Wow. Yeah. So a Zim trip, I noticed um, that, obviously, they use dollars there. Um, and I also know from Tanzania that there are different rates for different dollar uh, uh, denominations and how clean it is. You know that, right? Yeah, I, I do. Yeah, and so I was like, and so literally um, um, in Zim, I was trying to pay some bills with the dirtiest dollars I had and keep the cleanest. So when I go back to Tanzania, I can use my clean dollars to exchange into local currency. And I was like, whoa, maybe I should create Bank of Buana where I just clean bills. Because people are telling me like, hey, like, why don't you just clean them up? Like, I'm like, you know, like, I'm like, and of course, the reason why the bills are dirty is because there's no central, the, the bills are printed in, in, in Washington or whatever in the U.S. They're not printed here. And so if they're in the Simpson for too long, they get dirty. And so I created this uh, joke site. You can go on it. Look at it on here. Bankofbuana.com. One with a B because, you know. Uh, and basically what we do is we take your dirty old dollar bills and turn them into Bitcoin. And, uh, yeah, and so, like, you know, maybe one day I will, you know, create something out of it. But, yeah, bankofbuana.com. So uh, no M. So because no Buana means Mr. Bank of Mr. or Master. Because all the Kenya. Yeah, exactly. So. Uh, which is one of my biggest pain points. People always like to, don't, don't like to call me Buana because they think I'm, they, they're saying that. Yeah, oh, it is. Oh, it's, it's Buana Bank. Yeah, oh, Buana. Oh, yeah, okay, okay. But it's called Bank of Buana. Dude, that looks legit right there. <laughs> <laughs> and look at the bottom. Look at the bottom. Bank of Buana is not registered as a financial entity anyway or in any country. It's supported by Africoin.org. <laughs> <laughs> look at it. Trade in your... This is, this is a picture of me separating my old bills. Uh, clean is there. This is like dirty, you know. Dude, so how how much have you made, man? Uh, like, no, no, no. I, I got people emailing me saying like, "Hey, like, yeah, I want to use this system," or like, "This is not legal," you know, all the different questions. But yeah, that's why I had to put I put in this at the afterwards. I said it's, we're not a financial institution. Yeah, we keep it as a joke, so we so you stay out of jail, please. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So sign up. What does sign up actually do? I think it launches like a very simple. Uh, what is it? Oh, it's email ad trade. <laughs> Oh, so all you got to do, folks, is trade at buanabank.com. You're so going to jail if you make this real. 
Yeah. You get the FBI all up in your business, sir. Yeah, but I mean, it's back to the question about like you know, you know. But that's one example. No, but it's brilliant, and it's and it's a great and. A it's an African problem. I mean, dirty money or dirty as in literally dirty dollars is a problem, and cleaning them up. There's always a t- uh, you know who's gonna hold the last one dollar dirtiest note that's gonna fall apart in half. Someone's gonna hold. It. Not me. Back to you. It's, it's not gonna be the richest person in Africa. It's gonna be the poorest person in Africa who has that. Oh. Because remember, how do I get these dirty notes? I get them when I buy uh, like uh, some fruit in the street. Or get Change in the in the in the in the minibus taxi. And I get these dirty notes. And so, like, this was, like, a really frustrating thing. I was like, I can't believe it. Like, there's all these dirty notes that are being traded because Zimbabwe has no currency. And so the, the, the dollars are constantly be going through. But, uh, but then I can't, you know, in, Ken- in Tanzania being snobbish, they, 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 the, the Bureau de Change just don't want to trade any old notes. So, like, that also makes it hard for the Tanzanian who's poor, as, you know. So why don't I just turn it on to Bitcoin and then, like, they can do something else with it. Sure. Financial inclusion um, with Bitcoin. <laughs> okay. You, you wanted to challenge my, my thinking around financial inclusion and, and access. On Bitcoin, I mean, he's just given the answer in terms of a lack of talent. And the talent, for example, in South Africa is focused in Stellenbosch or the Western Cape. So given that it's focused there in the demographics of Stellenbosch, it's highly unlikely that you're going to get solutions developed out of Stellenbosch for poor Africans to include them into using technologies like Bitcoin to their benefit. Oh, good. You're, so you're kind of supporting the notion that, um, look, I suppose I, and this is, this is me, someone uh, after, the, after my question pulled me aside and said, you sound socialist. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not socialist. <laughs> I don't sound socialist. I'm the biggest socialist here, man. I'm Tanzanian. <laughs> so, so therefore reckons, please, I'm the socialist who sneaked into. <laughs> you, you somehow didn't de- de- detect uh, we, have a, we have a socialist uh, b- a bank of Buana. We filter AfriCoin. <laughs> You know, make sure that you don't show up to Africoin and like. You just need to add a little line here endorsed by the, the Zimbabwean socialist living in South Africa, <laughs> aka Andy Lemasugo. Yes. So listen, um, that that's pretty much it. Listen, like this was good. Like um, this is. Did you say you enjoyed it? You were off mic. No, 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 no. I, I really do enjoy it. Like it was, it was great. It was funny. Like we we touched a lot of interesting topics from like, you know, uh, non markets, indigenous innovation. You know, the big players, small players, foreigns and locals. Like, it's, you know, these are the issues that affect uh, Africa Tech right now, right? And, and, I'm, and we're loving it. I'm, I, I want to close out with what you'd say, and, and, and please don't make reference to anything you're currently invested in because you're obligated. But what, what, is, what would you say is your, what are you most enthused about as a trend? Uh, we're seeing VOD as a huge trend. We're seeing mobile money as a huge trend. We're seeing Bitcoin in terms of fintech. What is what are you excited about besides Bank of Bona? <laughs> Bank of Bona. Logistics is actually quite interesting. Logistics? Are you talking about like uh, uh, order fulfillment? Uh, are you talking about like sort of uh, what? What are you talking about? Yeah, I, I think anything that gets something from A to B in Africa efficiently is a huge value. So Udala just sent a, 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 their first parcel. It was a Nokia phone. Apparently, um, they sent one by drone to some dude. Uh, they did that last week. Is that the kind of thing you're talking about? Or are you talking about more nuts and bolts? Logistics is probably one of the um, underlying themes in Africa tech that if solved will unlock even more things from e-commerce to back to like, uh, you know, 
um, making sure that we look after look after the bottom of the pyramid, like medicines in remote places, bananas that come from West Africa through Africa to the southern part of Africa, as opposed to via ships or through Europe. Logistics is one of the areas where I do think there is a cigar guy, like who is controlling a monopolist logistics operation and not. So, for example, I, based in Singapore, of course. Yeah. So yeah, logi- yeah. So I actually learned this. Uh, the um, uh, rec- no, no, not recently, like over a while, but it, like how much are ports in Africa um, hamstrung by the fact that they are people who are sitting on like they purposely like make you go through like storage and and and, uh, and rack up the fees, you know. So if you are, say, for example, shipping like I don't know rice or bananas or iPhones or Xiaomi's into Africa and you know the person in the in the port is you know able to influence the, how long you stay in the port and hence they can extract value from that from rent uh, and then the final price of that uh, rice banana or Xiaomi phone is is 20% more because of the inefficiency at the port because of non market issues of someone sitting on like a bit of storage like they happen to own all the storage around the port and so they're able to like extract a toll and let's talk about how africa only is only invested in something like this is the same as a police asking for a bribe actually pretty much and i mean it slows you down it's it's you know it's down at the bottom level this is just the trade aspect the moving things around aspect Nigeria, of course, announcing earlier this year that they'll be thinking about having drones monitor their ports for that very reason. But, I mean, let's talk about – I mean, then it's issues like – no, let me not go socialist on this one (laughs) because I'm going to go socialist again and I'll be accused. Yeah. It's okay. Like, I actually think – I think Africans are programmed in some way to be a little bit socialist, I think. I think. I mean, the Chinese act of, you know, very socialist in the beginning, right? But then they're capitalistic at heart. But I think just the way the continent has developed, you do have a socialist, nationalistic mindset. And I mean, logistics being controlled. I mean, uh, the statistics are staggering. Less than 10% of the entire um, value chain, uh, in the, the entire sort of shipping business, the, the maritime business, Afri- relating to Africa, having nothing to do with Africa and not benefiting us in any way. I mean, how that can't be an issue to some people, I, I don't know. But I can understand why you'd pick logistics. I, I know Strive Masiwa um, of Econet, he said he'd be a farmer. You wouldn't farm? You don't think food, agriculture might be a big thing you'd be excited about? It's big. It's very, very big. Ag is big. So big that perhaps, like him, you might think about if you were to do all this over, you'd graduate from Stanford and go farm and not start a, a venture capitalist fund? Um, I might do an ag fund. Stay VC, though. I like venture capital because um, it's fundamental allocation resources game. Back to the whole socialist thing. You're actually but controlling the whole thing, really. Is that what you're saying? Socialism, you know, seen as quote-unquote bad. One of the theories is that it, 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 the system does not allocate capital well, resources well. And I suppose with with minds like yours, you can you can you can make it work. I guess it's one way to allocate resources into innovation. It's not the only way. There are other players doing it. There's crowdfunding as well, right? And so the crowd can actually speak. Uh, and so, but it's just one function, right? An ag fund would be great. But guess what? Back to your whole like, who's controlling it? So you, you do see me sometimes in a suit. So I'm only in a suit in, for two reasons: weddings and maybe funerals, and raising money at at very weird places in the world. Like Monsanto, if you did an ag fund. For example, it, like, I'll give you an example. Like, like, so there's a conference that happens in Amsterdam every year, the Emerging Markets Private Equity Conference. 
And do you know how hard it is for me to get a visa these days to go to Europe? Really? Look at me and they say, wait a minute, you're going to um, uh, Amsterdam, then you're going to like Berlin to see some startups there, then you're going to like some other, to London or something. We don't, this is way crazy. Like, you know, you're, you're, you, you know, you should be doing one thing. Or maybe go to the Belgium, sorry, Belgian or the German embassy to get the other visa because we don't deal with people like you, right? So the biggest thing that annoys me the most about um, just about the, how, how the control thing works is that how much of things go outside of Africa. Events outside of Africa. So, and, and actually, I'll give you one really good example to close off. I had this uh, trip planned to Angola because I've never been there before. And it's very hard to get to Angola, as you probably know. And at the same time, I got a White House invitation. It was one of those, you know, that, you remember, do you remember that, do you remember that uh, event two, two, two summers ago, two Julys ago, where all the Afri- Africa in Washington event? You must remember that. Yeah, I heard about that. Yes, yeah, so actually. Yeah. So, like. People email me like, hey, are you going? Are you going? All these venture capitalists, like, you know, the Steve K, all these guys were like going and, and, and they were like, are you going? I'm like, no, I've not been invited, you know. I'm going, I'm going to Angola, man, you know. Uh, and, and, so, and, and then suddenly, out of nowhere, a week before the, uh, the event starts, I get an email being like, you're invited to, the, to, to some event at the White House. And I'm like, and, I, and my instinct was like, whoa, yeah, this is it, I'm going. And then I said, no, no. I'm going to Angola. I'm going to be in Africa. I'm going to stay in Africa and do what I'm meant to be doing. And I told my dad this. He was like, what? Why are you not going to the White House? I'm like, because actually at the heart of it, we always have to travel outside of Africa to do fucking Africa stuff. No. No. Enough. So, and, and I was actually 100% right. Well, I went to Angola and I learned more about Africa going to Angola than I did about, by going to the White House. Wow. And that's... Pretty, a pretty great place to end this this little conversation, dude. I mean, it's I been so refreshing. I still got a lot to do the U.S. and other places, but it was just you know I had to make a decision: to, do I take my passport out of the Angola process? Because it took three weeks, or do I and go to the U.S. or do I just go stick on Angola? And I said no, I'm going to stick on Angola. Africoin is happening in three countries for a reason. I want to do more in Africa for a reason. Like we want, to, we should have less things going on in Africa uh, outside of Africa. That would help a lot. The Africa oh, CEO yeah, yeah, yeah. Forum in Geneva. Jeez. See you there. And I'll proudly show you my visa. I got it. I got my visa. We're here. We're free, boys. And, and then also I'll land in Geneva and I'll be like, so what are you doing here? I'm here for the Africa CIO Forum. Hmm. Mm. Are you sure you're not immigrating here for some other reason? Are you sure you don't want to stay here? Hmm. Don't you like snow? Lisbon. I, um, Lisbon for Portugal, my visa took so long to get. Um, and then I got to Lisbon, Portugal, and I realized that there were poor people in Lisbon than parts of Africa, you know? That's, that's the bit that really kind of shocks me, is you spend all this time getting to this gold place, you know? Uh, and there were actually, like, marble tiles in Lisbon, right? They have, like... But you see poorer people in Europe now than parts of Africa. We're good here, guys. We're good. Yeah, anyway. But listen, um, thank you so much, Great man. Mbwana, how do you say your surname? Is it Ali? Ali, yeah, yeah, Ali. Ali. Mbwana, Ali, it's been a pleasure. Great. Thank you so much. Good. All right, man. Enjoy the rest of your time here. And Joe Berg, anytime you want to be around, be around, man. Joe, Joe Berg is good. I'm going to be back here a lot. So you're so fast as my friend, by the way. I beg your pardon? Fast is my friend. Fast Jet is your friend. Oh, you're not invested in them. No, 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 no. They, they, they just get me from Dar es Salaam to Joe Berg very quickly and efficiently and cheaply. Oh, that's very nice. Yeah. Than any African airline? Back to the whole control thing. South African Airlines, do you think they are? Uh, they probably are upset by... Which have slashed the price of a return flight to Dar es Salaam. 
They probably are. But to be honest, they probably have bigger fish to fry at the moment. $800 return to go normally sometimes, uh, Joe Bagdar Salam. Whilst the fast it, you can get a flight as low as uh, $100 one way, $120 one way. Sick. That is absolutely sick. Uh, so, so, so who's helping uh, VCs scale across Africa more, FastJet or the World Bank? <laughs> no. I'd say FastJet. So like, I have my friends. That's why I say FastJet's my friend because they really help me get ar- around. I mean, it's, it's not an endorsement, but it's just like getting around Africa is hard. Logistics. Back to what you said. Why do I have AfriCoin in in three countries? Because I I was writing visa uh, uh, um, letters for Kenyans to come to AfriCoin Cape Town last year. I, I'm Tanzanian. Remember, in Tanzania, South Africa have a special relationship. No visas. Oh yeah. It was really weird being 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 in Cape Town in this hotel and being like, yes, uh, I would like to invite Ken Jerog of Sutherland to AfriCoin. I am here's my South African number. I am living in Cape Town or I'm staying in Cape Town. That's very strange to run a conference. So on African innovation and fintech, why do, you know that is ridiculous? I have to do that. So I said, no. This year we're going to do three locations. So, have to, people- so nobody has to feel that uh, that the indignity of feeling like an outsider on their own continent. And it was pretty funny because I had to like get uh, Ken's wife as well a visa because they wanted to go to Cape Town and shop and tourism and all that. Like, no, I don't want to be doing that. That's not what. I, it's just one of those things. It's like Africa is challenging to scale. It's frustrating. It's one of, one of the biggest challenges. Like, how do you integrate more? And people, players like Fast Jet help. Um, and hope- let's just hope they survive because I don't know. I don't know too many. I don't know smart money that's investing in airlines. I'm sorry. That's another question. It, it is a it is it is a legitimate concern. Yeah. We're hoping you stick around, Fast Jet. Stick around for us because we want to hit Lagos. We want to hit Lagos. We want to hit. Do you know it's funny that we haven't even had a discussion about Dallas? And I have to be honest about this at all. We were thinking even a crowd was sort of Miami of Africa. Dar is the what? Miami of Africa. Oh, so we might just because I mean we were thinking Lagos, Cairo. It's very lots of lots of interesting women there. It's 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 it's, it's good. You're not selling this for my wife though, or he, or Defos. <laughs> no, 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 that pretty much. He just made the trip d- die a natural death. You should bring them to and go to Zanzibar. Oh, there you go. Not, not, he's back in. He's back in. Did you see that? Did you, quick recovery right there. My dude, I'm going to have to switch this thing off because... By the way, another fast jet thing. They fly direct now to Zanzibar from here. Are you serious? Uh, I'm telling you, these guys are innovating on airlines. Who are these people? <laughs> Who are these people? <laughs> no, it is, man. 1,700 rand, one way. 120 And I was like, yesterday, they... Will South African Airlines let them? No, Mangos flies to Zanzibar, yeah. No market. Will they let them? How long will they let the them? The license of fast was, re- was was revoked on my first flight to Joe Bird. So they had to compensate me for free fly and, uh, and, and my money back. Because the SA Airlines apparently did some weirdness to uh, block South uh, Fastjet's first entry. No market issue. All right, my man. Unless you're president. Of Mbwana land. Of Bank of Mbwana. President of Mbwana Bank, man. Yeah, take it out. Wannabank.com. That's, that's, that's yeah, so sick. Like, ah, the dude is a riot. Man, I'm glad he's planning to spend more time in Joburg. He knows where it's at, man. Yeah, and a big shout out and thank you to Mbwana. And uh, yeah, he joined in. I mean, no issues. And we had a great conversation with him. Once again, folks, this week's African Tech Roundup is supported by Google, who are teaming up with us to give away a pair of their sought-after virtual reality viewing devices. Uh, they're called Google Cardboard. And we're giving them away to two lucky African Tech Roundup listeners anywhere on the African continent. Sorry, folks, if you're listening to us anywhere else but Africa, (coughs) sorry for you. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we are the African Tech Roundup. 
But all you have to do to win one, uh, is besides be in Africa, is answer these two simple questions. Number one, how much does MTN now need to pay the Nigerian Communications Commission after they reduced the fine they imposed by 35%? Number two, how much is Naspers looking to raise to fund its expansion plans by floating 17.1 million ordinary shares? How much is Naspers looking to raise to fund its expansion plans? Now, if you know the answer to those two questions because you've been listening so intently, please do email hello at africantechroundup.com. That's hello at africantechroundup.com. We can't wait to verify your answers and declare you the winner. Thanks once again to Google. Google Cardboard, of course, brings immersive virtual reality experiences to everyone in a simple and affordable way. To find out more about these snazzy VR devices, uh, head on to google.com slash get slash cardboard. That's google.com slash get slash cardboard. And that's pretty much today and probably the year's live recorded shows. That's right. Remember, we'll be away for four weeks over the festive season, but I bet you won't miss us much because we'll be sharing great content from the annual Roundup 2015 starting next week. As we said earlier, next week we'll kick things off by sharing a chat we had with a senior investment executive at RMI Holdings, Dominique Collet-Antonique, who was sitting on a panel with CEO and founding partner of Convergence Partners, Brandon Doyle, and they were chatting about tech in the enterprise and big business, focusing mainly on fintech and telcos. Definitely don't want to miss that. It's been an awesome seven months. Uh, it's been incredible coming uh, live to tape uh, every week so far. Like I said, we're not leaving you. We're definitely not leaving you um, without something to keep your ears buzzing. And also do follow us on social still. I mean, we'll still be very much active on there. And enjoy your holidays. Please come back safely. If you're doing any traveling, we wish you all the best and all the safety and amazing festive season. Happy holidays to you all. From me, Andile Masugo. And me, and don't eat too much turkey, otherwise you'll look like me. Cheers, guys. <laughs> that would be definitely more happy. Have a smashing week and an awesome holiday, folks. <laughs>